What is up? This is Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, The Voice of Music Artists. And this week I sit down with lights backstage at the Chameleon Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Now, when I first met Lights, which is her legal name, by the way, fun fact, the first thing I noticed about her was her electric, bright red hair. And she walked out and we were sitting down at a table and she had this high energy, but this comfortable energy about her that just made me comfortable right away. And normally when I do podcasts, I can get kind of nervous before... We sit down when I'm preparing, reading notes in the car, going over questions, research, things like that. But as soon as we started talking, we instantly connected. And I was like, let's fucking do this. Just to give you an idea of Lights' dedication, for her most recent album, Skin and Earth, she also put out a comic book to coincide with the release of the album, also called Skin and Earth. Before this, she had zero experience making comic books. She had always been a fan, but she hadn't actually written any of her own comics. She started from scratch, from ground zero. She watched YouTube tutorials. She consulted experts. She just went through the entire process of being shitty at first and then eventually turning this entire series into a very connective work of art for her fans and for people that want a visual aspect to her music, a a completely separate world she created for anyone to dive into. She spent over 10 hours on each page, when if you take all the pages into account, that is thousands of hours. The amount of effort that went into each page and the way that she was able to grow, not only as a studio recording artist during the process of this last album but as a comic book artist was amazing and intriguing to learn about after the interview we stuck around for the show of course which was electrifying she used crazy visuals a lot of them incorporated the skin and earth comics she's such a high energy amazing performer that has such a deep connection to her fans she she's living for her fans on stage it's like she's performing through them and the the energy to be a part of that crowd was amazing to feel just to be in that presence and after the show we hung around backstage for a little bit ripped some shots i think it was vodka and we just sat around with lights and the team for a little bit and got to know them and it was a great way to just end that whole experience of getting to know Lights, not only as a music artist, but also as a person. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lights. What's up, guys? It's Zach from Oxoro. I'm here with Lights at Lancaster, coming off of a sold-out show in Boston last night. First of all, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. I appreciate it. So... For every conversation we've had on our podcast, which is only two, so I guess it's <laughs> it's not really a routine yet, but I'll I always like there. to start with a quote. Like um, and so this comes from your Skin and Earth comic. 
and it. it's the main character N Anaya. Am I pronouncing yeah. it right? Yeah, I call her Anaya. But Anaya. Yeah. Well, yeah, Anaya. So she says in the intro, "I like the look on their faces when they do see me, but even better when they don't see me at all." And I saw a previous quote from an interview that you did. I think it was last year with the young folks. You said most of the shit that you concoct about the world hating you is just your projection of yourself, which kind <laughs> of like fed off of that quote. And I was like, holy shit, like that's actually like what she's talking about when she's putting herself into the character. That's so amazing. I just wanted to know like what experiences have you had specifically where you kind of feel like the world is against you, like all these eyes are on you and then you realize it's kind of just your mind building these things up and how did that kind of become a part of N in the comic? That's such a good question and so insightful. Um, thanks for putting that all together. Yeah, <laughs> it really nah. makes me feel smart. We do our um, research here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for sure a lot of a lot of my insecurities, and I think a lot of people's insecurities come from their own fear and their own issues with themselves. I mean, like for the first number of years of touring, I'd look out in the crowd when I was on stage and be like, okay, everyone's here to watch me fuck up. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I think you have to like have an internal switch where you, once you have ownership of yourself and like feel confident, then suddenly you see them differently. And I, I remember, you know, it took me years to get really comfortable on stage and not be nervous all the time. Yeah. And when that switch happened, I look out and I say, we're all in this together. Like I'm looking at, in, at people in their eyes and I'm singing. Whereas like, you know, when I first started touring, I was like looking at them with fear. Yeah, and I sure. think, you know, that has nothing to do with the people that are there at the show. Mm -hmm. That has everything to do with me. You know what I mean? And my own insecurities. And yeah, that of course, like when I'm, and so how that feeds into comics is like, I never really identified with superheroes when I was reading comics, um, which is like sort of the cliche comic mm -hmm. character, but it's not all like that um, because they're perfect individuals, right? Yeah. Um, I read a lot of indie comics where the characters are real and flawed and have issues. And that's what I found I identified with more. So of course I had to write, and that way, mm -hmm. um, she's a lot like myself and that she's got, she's make bad, bad decisions and um, course, has her insecurities and her flaws, yeah. but that's all, that all plays into how you learn how to be strong in the end of the day. Yeah. And uh, what you said about people coming to watch you fuck up, Matt, <laughs> my brother Matt is sitting here. That's the only reason that he shows up to this podcast. He's like, <laughs> I see the judgment yeah, in what, his eyes. Yeah. What the fuck is going to go wrong? <laughs> how is this going to be a train wreck? Um, so you are the daughter of missionary parents. When I was younger, yeah. When you were younger. Yeah. Um, and then you, you've lived in a bunch of places and then you moved to Toronto on your own for yeah. the first time about 10 years ago, was it? Yeah, when I was 18 and 2006. Moved 2006. To Toronto. Yeah. Um, so how did living by yourself, like all that time to self-reflect, how did that kind of help you figure out and understand who you were just being out on your own for the first time? Oh, it has so much to do with self-discovery. I think when you live at home, there's... There's only so much you can really figure out because you're taken care of mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, but yeah, when I moved out on my own, I lived, I had no friends in Toronto and uh, I have no friends in New York. <laughs> I don't have friends <laughs> currently either, but whatever. Yeah. Um, who's counting? Uh, I think that's when, when you're actually, when you're alone is when you really learn yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, those first couple years were really hard. And that was when I, I would sink into my deep depressions and, I had a lot of issues um, that I was dealing with. And I got, a lot of great music came out of that. That's the catch-22 of writing, I yeah. guess. Some of the best stuff comes out when you need it. But, uh, yeah, I, those times really were hard. They were really hard, and I was alone for a lot of them. But And, and it lasted for a long time, but mm -hmm. eventually you figure it out. And that's part of what the comic is about, too. Um, I wanted to show that as, like, a, a beautiful thing because I think a lot of people see that as, like, a 
a flaw, like that tarnishes their history, mm-hmm. these hard times that they've had and, uh, that they're not proud of them. But I think, you know, I don't think I would be the, I wouldn't be the person that I am. I wouldn't have the music that I have and I wouldn't know myself like I do if I hadn't gone through yeah, this emotional trauma. Yeah, because you're flaws out there through the comics. Yeah, and you music. learn how to power through it. And yeah. if you've never seen the darkness, how will you ever understand the light? Exactly. You know what I mean? So um, I'm, I, I wanted, if that's sort of part of the story is like, let's make this part of or, our origin story and, and not try to pretend it didn't happen. Like that's, should yeah. be, you should be, look back and be fucking proud that you got through it. You know exactly. what I mean? Because I think, Fuck yeah. yeah. So the darkness and the light is actually a perfect segue to my next <laughs> question. Um, the Skin and Earth comic, it's filled with a bunch of dichotomies like pleasure, pollution, fear and hope, mm-hmm. darkness and light. Thanks for that segue. Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, read, I read your um, notes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you are transporting people to another world with your music and with your comic. What is it about creating another world that kind of helps you explore yourself more than you can, just like in this reality, feeling more comfortable and saying like, all right, I'm going to create this person. I'm going to create this world. And then I'm also going to write an album that follows that. <laughs> so how does that help you explore yourself better than just what you do every day? I think at least in my experience with this project, it was the ability to uh, speak through another character. So you didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was necessarily coming from you because things get so much more personal when you're saying them, even though it is personal. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so going into all these songwriting sessions, I was like, I want to write a song that's angry. I want to write a song about sex. I want to write a song about the validity of fighting in a relationship. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm walking into a session with a stranger. I don't feel like talking about my relationship with this person I don't know. I don't feel like talking about sex with this person that I don't know. So I'm going to talk through this character. And it took this creating this fictional character to like be authentically honest in a lot of these songs because I felt like I could and I had this sort of like protective third party that that I was able to sing through. Is that something you constantly call upon the character and when you're in the studio, like you said, you're talking to a stranger, oftentimes you're meeting them that day and you're recording something. Do you kind of channel yourself through and to feel more comfortable? There's a bit of of that for sure. I think, um, I yeah, I, I feel like I'm seeing it for her but it's also for myself. Mm-hmm. But um, like I've, years and years ago, uh, before even my own music really came out, I was writing for other people. And I wrote for a TV show called Instant Star. And there's like, a, ironically, it was- Didn't a, you uh, audition Yeah, that. I was literally <laughs> going to say, I wrote it. That's amazing like you know that. Um, ironically, I didn't get the part. But years later, by season four, I was Everything writing for her. For Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I remember it was a really cool experience being able to write from another person's perspective. And I was singing for her. And I was writing for her. And uh, so for this experience, it was this really- really cool thing because I was writing for this character, but also that character is my, my inner soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's a part of me. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's all part and parcel of the same person and my hair is red, just like hers is. And I have the same markings that are in the book. So obviously like we are one in the same, but, um, it was, it was cool to be able to like shunt some of the, yeah. the weight of the world onto her. Thanks for pointing out that your hair is red. Cause I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so another another good segue that was unplanned, I swear. Um, <laughs> in terms of writing for other people, I saw you read the book Writing for Comics yeah, by Alan Moore. great book. And he says that you should build your world before you build the plot line. Yeah. And going off of the comic book that you created, 
awkward page turn. <laughs> um, you you made it was six parts, 170 pages total, right? Six issues, yeah. Um, and you spent 10 hours, 10, 11 hours on a page, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that is, was just with the art, not including the writing. Yeah, for those of you out there who can't do math, that's like close to 2,000 hours. <laughs> yeah. I used a calculator for that. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually didn't even do the tally there. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> so. What inspired you to keep going with the comic? Because I'm sure there are frustrating moments mm -hmm. where you're like, fuck this. Like, yeah. I've been drawing the same page for three days. Like, yeah. it looks like shit. Like, I need to do, not that it looked like shit, but like. There were some pages I'm that sure, did. <laughs> I'm sure, like, you make something and then you get better at drawing and then you go back and you're like, oh, I should have, like, done this. Like, how do you kind of evolve through that process and get through your own frustrations? Well, I mean, there was a lot of, like. I had committed myself to doing this, even though I wasn't fully aware of how it was going to turn out. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I just had to figure it out as I went. So I knew I, what the end product was going to be. I just needed to get there. And I just need, knew I just needed to push through it. And I, so I just kind of started drawing the thing chronologically. And yeah, times would come. And I was like, what? like, are people going to care about this? Like, this is, what am I doing? And and to be honest, like, for the most part, when I'd finish each page, I would be really fucking proud of it. Yeah. Like, I was you like, damn, okay. Small you know? Yeah. And then... Even fans come up to me now being like, I noticed the evolution in your art just through the comic. Like, mm -hmm. the, my, my control of the lines and my ownership of the colors and stuff changed a little bit over the course of the book. And to reconcile the, the difference, I, I, you know, by the time I got to the sixth issue, I, I went back and tried to, like, fix up some of the first yeah. pages so that it would all match and stuff. And thicken the lines and kind of, like, try to make things more cohesive because my art did improve, like, really obviously mm -hmm. through the creation process. But I think that's part of the journey, too, like, people being able to watch that. And in the back of each issue, in the back matter pages, I was able to include sure. some of the process so people could see and be on that journey with me. And I hope people can be inspired that, like, you don't have to start out amazing at what you do. But you'll get there eventually. Like, they say you master something in 10,000 hours, right? And if that's only 2,000, yeah, I'm 10, not even there hours. yet. <laughs> that's true. So it was kind of like action before inspiration like you just decided that you're you gonna just, start exactly. drawing and even if you weren't feeling necessarily super motivated that yeah. day or inspired you're exactly just like, Fuck it. Like, this I'm is this gonna. is something that i've really like had to come to understand over the last few years is that people kind of romanticize the idea of inspiration that it's just yeah. supposed to strike you like lightning and you just wait for it and it's gonna come someday but it's like inspiration is around us all the time if you don't work for it it'll never hit you yeah. and i think um that I, I had to realize in my last album, actually, because I was just kind of sitting around waiting to, like, get the ideas. But you really have to, like, you have to de delegate your time and make sure you put your time in for it. And then it will come. Like, even if there's some days that it's not as natural as others, like, you can't wait around for it. Did you ever read the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? No, but that sounds like you, an amazing book. Yeah, you should. <laughs> um, it actually goes into that same thing you're talking about, action before inspiration. Yeah. It's just, like, a lot of people wait for lightning to strike. Yeah. That never does. Exactly. And, Basically, you just, like, don't have to wait for that. Just, like, don't give a fuck. And yeah, you just have art. to work for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and some days it'll feel like squeezing water out of a rock, and some days it flows, and it's amazing. Yeah. You'll never know if you don't exercise the muscle, you know? Exactly. Uh, so you created an off of a painting that you did a while back. Sort of loosely inspired Sort of by loosely her, inspired. Yeah. Um, it was called Vengeance. Yeah. How did you extrapolate this entire world based off this painting and like come away with an idea for this world because it seems like such a specific idea that you wanted to create a world based off of this girl from the painting. Well, I think, and this is what I've always loved about comic art, it's simple. Mm -hmm. um, for the, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's challenging as any art, but it's, it's not like realism, right? It's, 
It's just a few yeah. dark lines filled with some interesting colors. And I've always loved that about comic art. So when I was putting out paintings, everything had like a backstory. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what it was. And I liked that idea about it. It was one panel. Like the Vengeance painting was like um, this girl with an eye patch and fiery red hair. And she had like this look of vengeance yeah. on her face. And I didn't know, I don't know what her backstory is even to this day, but I really liked what it, what questions it like yeah, aroused you, you in me. <laughs> yeah. She was like, yeah. she looks cool. And it's funny uh -huh. because everything comes freaking full circle. And this is the weird thing about that painting. So that painting was inspired by, um, a comic series called why the last man, which is a comic series by Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. Uh, the writer. Um, I don't, I don't know the artist off the top of my head. Um, Pia, something amazing artist too but Brian Kevon one of my one of my favorite mm -hmm. writers um and there was like this badass spy chick with one eye yeah. with an eye patch and so she loosely inspired the vengeance painting and then when I was coming up with the idea for the comic and I knew the brass tacks of what it was supposed to be um I kept just thinking about vengeance when I was trying to character design they, well that girl forever has a place in my heart like this fiery yeah. redhead who has like a deep sort of darkness, yeah. but like this power. So that definitely inspired the character and everything came full circle because originally I'd reached out to Brian K. Vaughn to write the comic. And did he, he get back to you? Oh yeah. We had a little line of communication for because he's go. a fan of my music and I'm a huge fan of him. And of course he was too busy to do it, but he basically said like, you can do this. You know how to do it. Um, you're a writer already and I think you should do it. And when Brian K. Vaughn tells you, you can do something, I guess you just believe it did he give you any ground rules like he totally to did this well yeah he gave me a few pointers just um because i asked for a couple notes because mm -hmm. i didn't know where to begin when i was writing a comic he's like this is how many panels i'll do a page because his writing has a great flow to it and yeah. i'm a big fan of his comics so he's like this is how many panels this is how many speech bubbles like this is how many lines per speech bubble and like that's sort of like my basics that i mm -hmm. use and that increases readability and whatever so I applied all of the things that he said to my comic and it's just, it's funny how things all come full circle. Yeah. So when you were creating this world, there's a lot of infrastructure and it kind of goes off of like earth friendly infrastructure versus like polluted infrastructure. And your dad is an architect that specializes in green infrastructure. Yeah. And were you like kind of bouncing ideas off of your dad or I know he like gave you some books and stuff yeah. to look at. And no one really has that experience or very few people have an experience of saying to their dad or either one of their parents, like, hey, I'm going to create this world. Like, help. Can, you, can you help, please? Like, help <laughs> that me. is true. <laughs> so, like, what, what was it like kind of going to your dad and just asking him for advice and being able to have that relationship with him? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, I, I'd come up with sort of the, the idea of the dystopian future world before I had had any conversations with him. But I think because we'd had so many conversations in the past about, um, you know, the infrastructure that would need to occur in order for us to prevent whatever happens mm -hmm. in this world from happening. Um, you know, he's very much for things, infrastructure that's protective of earth and not for pipelines and mm -hmm. not for all that kind of thing. Um, green roofs, like anything that helps sustain is so important. Obviously in the world in comic, they didn't heed that advice and world felt a famine and plague. But, um, because we've had those conversations that really inspired the idea of the book. And then I went to him for, uh, 
it's funny. I didn't so much go to him for advice in terms of green infrastructure, but mm-hmm. actually for the opposite. Yeah, I wanted so. something that, uh, what's called brutalist architecture, mm-hmm. which was pretty prevalent in like. It's like kind of concrete. Super stuff, concrete, yeah. su- super um, like cold, um, not even interesting. It's just like very repetitive and, yeah. and gray. And that type of architecture has been referenced a lot in dystopian fiction and apocalyptic art. So he gave me a few books actually from the leaders in brutalist architecture because it is is a kind of architecture. Mm -hmm. It was an era of architecture and there's an art to it for sure. So I referenced a lot of those, those concrete buildings in those books for the the buildings that I put into the pink sector of the comic. It's really cool. Just like being able to like geek out about these weird brutalist buildings. And now I notice them everywhere and it's like, I'm inspired by weird concrete things that I see. Yeah. And it's probably cool to pick your dad's brain about stuff and then see it come to life. Yeah. He he knows all, he like geeks out over architects and getting to, I, I can't remember the name of like one of the, one of the main founders of that style of architecture. I think it was like in the sixties. Um, but, uh, God, I'd have to reference the books that I have, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome to look at. So you mentioned before that you struggled with some mental demons, some depression, anxiety, and you used the comic book to kind of reflect some of that that was going on in your personal life. What periods or dark times in your own life were you specifically calling upon and how are you able to translate that through N and through the comic book? Probably in those early years that I lived on my own, I uh, mm-hmm. I remember there was just some nights where it kind of overtakes you and you don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's confusing. It's super confusing. Especially and when you're you by feel yourself. You're by yourself and you're lost. And I remember just like sitting <laughs> sitting in my apartment, like throwing pillows around, like with rage because I didn't know what to do. And I was probably so late, you were late teens, like early twenties. Pillow fights. I was just throwing. I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like, it's it can overtake you to the point where like you don't have an answer yeah. and that's tough because I've always been a bit of a control freak well, and if, if you ever get really mad during this interview don't be afraid to punch Matt in the face <laughs> that'll come yeah. that's to come you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> pillows are very soft yeah. um, and I think that there's that feeling of hopelessness that I wanted to channel um, because it is a, a feeling you can't control and I, I wanted to show that it doesn't last forever you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I can look back on those times and I'm in a very different place now. But it took some searching and it took doing things that I'm fucking proud of yeah. to get out of it. And I think you can't rely on somebody else to get you out of it. It's you. And uh, that was kind of, that was part of the story I wanted to tell. So there's a part of the book where N has like hit rock bottom and she's mm-hmm. alone in her apartment and tears are streaming down her face. And that was sort of a reference to those times is like, you know, she's in this like state of hopelessness. Um, after which point, like she's pretty vulnerable to anything, I think. Uh, and that was at the point at which Mitsuki enters her life Mm -hmm. because there's an opening there. Um, and I think when you're in that weak state, that's when people can have a big influence on you, um, for the better or for the worse. And in the book, it was a bit of both. Um, she was kind of like the demon on her shoulder, but she was also the angel on her shoulder. She helped her find herself. And I think that there, I think there's truth in all of that. I think, in that vulnerability, you find strength and you, and, and it kind of plays off your weakness, but it's all part of your story at the end of the day. And going off of finding yourself, I know that you used, um, some of the plot lines and things that were going on. Like you were saying, you use it to explore anger, some sexuality things. And I know you came out as bisexual a couple of years ago in people magazine in an interview. And in today's society, 
I think a lot of people construe bisexuality as like a phase that people go through or like an experiment and like people don't acknowledge it for what it is. Like I'm in love with a person regardless of gender. Yeah. Like it's about the love. It's not yeah. about um, like going through a period of time. Like this is who I am. Um, so how, how did writing that into the story, exploring things sexually in the comic, how did that kind of help you battle your own inner desires to come out as bisexual and identify? I don't need, it's not, it's funny. It's like not even like an inner desire. It's just like realizing that love oh yeah, desire is, is probably the wrong, but just like realizing, um, Love is such a big word. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. love is such a big word. And I think we spend so... And I I did discover this a lot while writing the comic. I was writing the Mitsuki character. And I knew from the get-go that I wanted um, and to fall in love with this being that she meets. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think twice about that idea. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, this is obvious. She's going to fall in love with this amazing human. Um, Who turns out is not a human, but whatever. I won't give that too much away. Um, And she... uh, yeah, and as I was writing the character, I was falling in love with her too. And I, I think it, it just made me realize that we put too many standards on who we think we're allowed to love. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately then don't spend enough time loving. And there's such a world out there of beautiful people and you just got to find the right yeah. one. It doesn't matter what they have between their legs. That's the way I look yeah, at it. absolutely. But um, yeah, I think you fall in love with somebody's mind and their heart, you know. And that happened a lot in the comic. Um, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was really fun to write. So – Taking a complete 180 from love, I hear you have a massive weapon collection at home. <laughs> um, and you're also a survivalist and you yeah, you have a plan just in case some shit goes down and I there's got, an apocalypse. I got buckets of survival gear. Um, so if something happened tomorrow, I'm fucked. Like I have no idea what to do. <laughs> so can you impart some wisdom on us? Like what, what would you do if tomorrow like shit just goes south and the apocalypse is coming like what is on your checklist like well I'm it very, depends on the type of apocalypse i mean there, there's yeah, like that, there's a real my, like there yeah. are types of apocalypse so what what is like your ideal situation based off of like what's a certain type of apocalypse like an asteroid is that well so there's asteroid there's like anomalous stuff like that but i think there's more realistic stuff like okay. uh, economic collapse okay um or <laughs> This one may not sound realistic, but a lot of people are afraid of what's called an EMP, which is like an uh, electromagnetic pulse coming from the sun and it knocks out all electricity. And, okay. So there's there's certain little things. I think the most realistic of all of them, and I think about this a lot. I mean, there's the the, the unrealistic extreme, with the, which is the zombie apocalypse, which will never happen, but it's hilarious. We to were think actually about. just talking about the other day um, with my brother, Matt. Uh, there was like a couple scientists or something that put out an article or the CDC, the center for disease control has an actual plan. Should a zombie apocalypse occur? (laughs) And I haven't read it, but now I'm probably hilarious. I've read all the the research (laughs) articles about the possibility of like a brain effective, just like a, a, a disease that would keep the brain alive basically, which is the only reason zombies are a possibility. I don't think it's possible, but still, it's interesting to think about. Um, but in the real, like this more realistic event of like an EMP or an economic collapse, you have to keep in mind that there's only enough food in your local grocery store for three days. Mm-hmm. Then it's gone. What do you do? And like, uh, 
it really was, it, it all came to a head. I think the power, the power went out in Toronto for six days once during the winter. And I was dipping into that survival kit and I was like, well, this is where there's holes in my kit. Like I needed to get a Bunsen burner. There was a couple things that I didn't have that I really needed at that time. Um, and it really makes you realize like if there were to, if, if something were to happen, mm -hmm. like we would really be on, unprepared. So there's two, there's two ways to go about surviving in the event of either of these things. One is called bugging in and one is called bugging out. So bugging in is if it's sort of a short lived thing, you, you stay in your house, you have everything you need in your house. Mm -hmm. If it's like a nuclear fallout thing, you can tape out the windows and stuff and, and just kind of like wait out the initial fallout. If it's something that's bigger and more long-term, you bug out, you have to find somewhere else to go. Um, like in places like Florida, like a shelter, or something. like a shelter, or meet, uh, find a, uh, make a plan to meet up with family and people you know. Because in the event of an EMP or an economic collapse, like electricity isn't necessarily going to be a thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you have to be prepared with like a flint because that has two thousand charges, whereas like matches only last so long, fuel only lasts so long, and it takes up less space. Think about how much stuff you can carry. Um, what kind of dry goods can you carry that will sustain you and be protein bearing, like a bag of lentils? That stuff lasts five, ten years, yeah. and is pretty small compared to the amount of food that it can give you. So like th thinking of those kind of things can keep you alive in a scenario like that. But I also really enjoy thinking about the apocalyptic scenario because it takes the pressure off everyday life. When you, when you, yeah, we, when we spend like, so, we spend so much time, like, die, like, then not, yeah, like who cares? Shit doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I didn't get my drink at Starbucks. Right. Or like something stupid. Like I didn't sell enough records, you know, like who cares yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're just going to play music. I remember, um, when I was still in school, we were reading some like apocalyptic type writing and I was thinking like, shit, if this actually happened, I wouldn't have to write this paper. Like, I would <laughs> yeah, and then you're just going to walk, walk away. Like, What's the point? Yeah, exactly. Well, like, I, I wouldn't have to be doing any of this shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about what careers would like still exist. Yeah. In post-apocalyptic survival planning, a survival, a survival planner, survival exactly. Yeah, you'd, but you'd like lawyers, like lawyers, yeah. pointless. Um, bankers, pointless. Doctors, very valuable. Yeah. Um, tradesmen, very valuable. Yeah. So, for everyone out there who is not a survivalist and myself you too, for my, yeah, you better start thinking. <laughs> what are three or four basic things that you should have in your survival kit starting out? Definitely a flint. So you can start a fire. Mm -hmm. Like that's the key thing. So fire and water are the two basic. Um, flint for fire um, and a water filter. Water filter. So either a water filter or um, like you can get. Now they have like those straws yeah, where life you can straws. just sip water and filter yeah. automatically. Yeah, those it's are crazy. good. They don't, um, you can sip out of a river with those, but you yeah. can't actually store water or collect water. Oh, okay. So they're actually little tablets that will disinfect water and stuff. And you can get a filter that works for so many gallons of water. Um, that's all really valuable to have. Probably um, rope. You'd be like a rope, rope and a knife. Yeah, um, sure. because with that stuff you can make traps and whatever you need for the food that you need. But those and one thing that people overlook a lot is like a little pot. Like what can you do yeah. with that? Like not talking about weed, yeah. but that would help too. But yeah, well, I was gonna say both. On like, both, yeah, both, exactly. both ends, the, the barrel. Yeah, as long there. as you have flint, like you can <laughs> yeah. do this, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so everyone out there, stock up. Um, take take. Everyone advice. should have yeah. like a little preparedness. Actually, I, I got this magazine. People must be thinking about this a lot lately. I don't know if there's strange political times or something. Yeah, I don't but, know. It's um, like someone has their finger on yeah, the button. I'm not sure. I don't know. But um, there's a there's this magazine that I see in every grocery store now. So I bought it because it's great. But it's like um, how to survive anything. 
and it gives you like 40 apocalyptic scenarios and ways to survive and actually learned a lot in it, like in the event of an earthquake um, or a flood, like what do you do? And I did discover that if you're in a parking garage in your car during an earthquake, get out and sit beside it. Crouch sit beside your car. Crouch beside your yeah, car in a parking yeah. garage. And if you're in a flood, lower the window, even though it seems like the opposite reaction and get out and get on top of your car. I guess, yeah, that makes sense because the, the pressure build up and you wouldn't yeah. be able to open your door. Yeah, you won't be able to open your door. So, yeah. Um, so switching gears a little bit, you have a very unique fan base, the Lights Army. They're awesome. They're and awesome. dedicated and amazing. Actually, I saw an interview. Um, I'm blanking out on the venue, but a couple of fans from the Lights Army interviewed you. Yeah, that was at the House of Strombo House in Toronto. House of Strombo, yeah. yeah. And, and that was really cool. And it wasn't like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm meeting like my idol. Like I'm so nervous. They like came they were in. Super yeah, cool. they came in and they're just like, all right, like let's fucking talk. Like, <laughs> we got questions. Which is, which is cool. Um, and like your fans seem to understand the journey you've been on. They are willing to wait for stuff that you do, regardless whether you think it's good or not. When you put it out, your fans are, it seems like they're intellectually absorbing what you're yeah, putting out definitely. instead of just being like, this is, I like this. I don't like this, blah, blah. Like, yeah. And they're taking the time to really digest it. Yeah. So what is it like for you to have a fan base like that? Because it's pretty unique. Usually other artists, like when you put stuff out, it's like, oh, like, I hope they like this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like with you, it's like, it's more of a conversation, like a back and yeah, forth. Yeah, um, that's really cool that you noticed that. I, I think because we've all been, a lot of the core Lights Army people um, have been listening for years. You know, it's not really a shallow, it's not a shallow fan base. And I do understand the, just the way music is, like you go through phases, you move on from music that you listened to 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But the one, like these people have stuck with me for you know, eight years, yeah. six years, 10 years, how, whenever they came into the picture. And I think that, you know, that kind of relationship is a long relationship. I think the way I look at it is however, um, whatever amount of time somebody invests in your music and in your art means the, the more longevity that, um, you'll have with them. Yeah, and, sure. uh, so with this project, especially like with the comics and the explorable Instagram world and all the videos, like if you, if someone, if you can get someone's attention for three minutes, that's a start. If you can get someone's attention for an hour, two hours, that's the beginning of a great relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like the, the longer they spend with me, I think the, the harder it'll be for us to part ways. And um, as long as all of those experiences are authentic and they believe me and I believe them, you know, and I, over the years too, I've gotten letters and heard their stories and I've spent the first year, so many years of my career, like waiting outside by the bus and talking to every single person. Standing any? by the merch table, like meeting. This is the first tour I've ever done in 10 years that I've actually charged for a VIP meet and greet. And it's been an awesome experience too because I get more time with these people and get to talk to them. But um, yeah, I've put a lot of time in getting to know the fans. So I think yeah. there's a connection there. She actually charged Matt to sit here for this. Yeah, interview. this is costing I, you $7,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the next generation of Lights Army, you are mother and you've been a mother for three years now. Yeah, four oh, now. Four years. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I saw a story where you were recording vocals in early labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Yo, it was, I mean, I've never been in labor before. And yeah. I, it's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Basically, like I was finishing muscle memory, all the vocals. And uh, I was like, oh God, okay. This is like, 
I'm having contractions, but it's also not the way it happens in movies where it's like, ah, water breaks, there's crying and screaming. Like it takes 20 hours for it to all get crazy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's not ever that quick. I mean, maybe for a couple of women it is, but it's, that's really not the way it is. Very sensationalized. Um, so I was like, okay, well I, you know what? I got like almost done these vocals, going to wrap these up and head home. And I was heading home around like 8 p.m. and probably went into Harleyville by midnight. And actually, that was the first night I played Settlers of Catan, which is actually like one of my favorite board games. We were just uh, looking at that. The, we were at a board game shop in Brooklyn. Oh, it's yeah. so good. We actually made like a, a custom 3D board and stuff. It's Did like, you ever play Clank? No. What is that? Um, it's a like it's a multiple. What is he called again? Or it's like a multi-level. God, it's, it's kind of like a dungeon type thing. You had to like. You gotta, Whoa! You have to like go through and grab an item and try and get back out Whoa. before like the dragon. Yeah, once, wow, and that's then once intense. You, and once you start to go back out, you start the clock for the amount of moves you have left. Whoa! So is it a board game? Then, yeah. It's Hell a board game. yeah! I love that. Um, but yeah, check out check out Clank. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not a huge board game guy, but Clank was uh, amazing. Was a good time. What? That's cool. But yeah, like long story short, now Rocket. I mean, at least for a couple of years after that incident, that song would put her either make her anxious or put her to sleep. And now when she watches my set, she falls asleep. <laughs> She's just like, there's something about that triggers like an in, in utero vibe for her and she falls asleep. How did you and your husband, Bo, decide on the name Rocket? Because I'm very interested. It's Rocket so, Wild. Rocket Wild Bo King, yeah. Um, it's kind of a weird story. Like, I didn't want to know what gender she was until she was born. So I was like, well, let's pick a name that could go both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally we were going to go with Link. Um, Little reference to Zelda. Zelda, yeah. yeah, love the games. Um, and then it, it would have been to, funny if like your second choice was like Michael. It's like, <laughs> yeah, Link or Jake. Go, yeah. Uh, um, so we moved on from Link and then wanted to go with Cloud, which is a Final Fantasy reference. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm, it's not quite right. And then uh, when I was three months pregnant, I announced it to my band mm-hmm. because it obviously is going to affect everybody. Yeah. Bought them each a big bottle of liquor and was like, yes, I'm pregnant. We, and that night we had a big show um, in Vancouver. It was a big P&E show, like cool event. Like it was such an awesome show. Mm-hmm. So I told them before the show, we went on stage and I was feeling pretty like crazy, like pretty excited and nervous. And like behind the crowd, there was this big giant neon rocket. And I was like musing about it on stage actually because I was like, I was like, like space and stuff. And I was like, this is a cool rocket. And everyone was kind of confused in the crowd. And then I got off stage and realized it wasn't a rocket. It was actually just a sideways Ferris wheel that looked kind of like a rocket. Well, sideways Ferris wheel doesn't sound as good for me. No, not as cool. (laughs) And so we were all joking about it. It was like kind of embarrassed that I was talking about this rocket that wasn't there. And then my sister was like, yo, rocket, that's a cool name. And that just kind of stuck because I was like, either way, it's going to be a sick name if she's a boy or a girl. So how do you and your husband, who is the lead singer for Bless the Fall, how do you manage raising a kid? Because, like, you're both on the road, I'm sure, at the same time it overlaps. How do you handle being rock stars and also (laughs) raising a child? (laughs) It's like a constant balancing act. And he is on tour right now. He is actually here not too long ago. Oh, wow. He's like – our tours have been following like each other ven- really close. He was venue. in this venue oh, like not awesome. long ago. He's like, oh, go to this coffee shop down the street. And he'll like, if it's yeah. close enough, like in Denver, they played the same venues as like two nights before. So he'll leave a little like hidden note somewhere. It's like kind of cool. But ultimately, and it was a little note for Rocket. Ultimately, it's just a balancing act though. Like um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it it does. Um, and, and to go back to some of our earlier conversations, like it's, dealing with mental health issues Mm. and depression and those kind of things. Uh, I think a lot of that stems from narcissism and the idea that the whole world 
is a, you're in the middle of it and the whole world is around you. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, that's just human behavior to, yeah. to see the world that way because that's how you are. You're the center of the universe yeah. and everything that you know revolves around you. And um, as soon as you have a kid, that changes. And the, the weight of the world isn't on your shoulders anymore and it's not so much pressure. You don't put so much pressure on yourself. And that goes back to projecting all of your insecurities on other people. Like you look at the world with fear and then suddenly when you have a kid, you look you look at it differently and you, you're proud of yourself and proud of what you've accomplished and you want to give this kid the best life ever. So suddenly all your, your priorities changed and actually like it changed my mental state and changed my life yeah. being a mother. And I think it takes away from that feeling of like the world is like waiting for me to fuck up. Yeah. And, and it's not like that. You realize that that's not true. Everyone's got their own shit to deal it, with. It's kind of similar to what you were saying before. Like when the world is coming to an end, it forces you to just only care about the shit that's the important. The stuff that so matters. when you become yeah. a mother, I'm sure. That just it, reprioritize. Like put yeah. things in perspective. Like, yeah. Like I'm, I am very narcissistic in the – like the aspect that I wake up, I'm just like, all right, what am I eating? Like, what am I what doing am, today? What am yeah. I doing today? Yeah, and that's, like, that's how most people what are. What am I wearing? Like yeah. all this shit. And then yeah. you wake up and you're like, oh my God, like I have to take care of another yeah. human being. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, imagine. but it also takes like, it's not so scary. Yeah. It's just fun and exciting. And every day is new and every day you're teaching somebody something new. And I, uh, I hope that that that's what most people take out of parenting. I, I think yeah. that's, that's a, I think being a parent is so cool. It brings out have, the best in people. I'm, not, I think. I'm definitely not ready for it. Yet. <laughs> I don't um, think you can ever be ready for it. Yeah, you know what I but mean? But the fact that you're just raising a mini version of you <laughs> and someone else, you're just like, that's the way I live. I'm like, like we like made this shit. Person. We made this amazing <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. Is she old enough where she does things and you're like, Oh, that's your dad. Or like, Oh, that's me. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And even just her facial expressions. I'm like, Oh, that's Bo right there. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of Bo, you were saying that, um, like you leave hidden letters or he left you a hidden letter. I saw that you also kind of compete to do nice things for each other. (laughs) Like he gave you ice cream one time or he sent ice cream while he he was in Europe and you were in the U S I'm assuming. Um, I actually think it would be more fun if you guys competed in who could embarrass each other more <laughs> instead of like who's nice. So I actually wrote down a few ideas how you could embarrass your husband. Let's, if you like. let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, <laughs> so wait, where's he right now? He is, uh, I think they're heading to Vegas from Vegas. Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first one would be to hire an acapella group to sing him a ballad version of Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. Uh, send it to the venue. Yeah, send it to the venue. <laughs> I like um, it. Hollaback sec- Girl. The second one would be send him a male stripper, Graham. Oh, no. <laughs> that would highly be embarrassing. Right? And the, the third one would be change his ringtone to super loud sex noises. Oh, no. <laughs> These are all great ideas. Yeah. I need um, to figure out how to do these so remotely. Yeah. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, you can blame me for your phone going off. Yes. Real yeah. Things. I wish I could remotely change his ringtone. That would be a dream. That There's probably an app out there, <laughs> there somewhere that you could just like remotely. Big brother, man. Big brother. Yeah, exactly. Just call it Mark Zuckerberg. I'm sure <laughs> you could do it. Um, so the last, last topic I had for you, which really stuck out to me, is you said that you – can envision color palettes when you listen to a song and that goes into the comic. It goes into the music video that you just released. We were here. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to know what is it like just envisioning these things 
behind your eyelids before it comes to life and having this whole concept of the music video, which your husband was also in. Yeah. Um, and just how that fits into the, the story of the comic book too, because I know the music video has a lot to do with it. Yeah, well, it's all, I mean, for me, it's always just been all tied in. Like, mm -hmm. it's always been such a visual, music's always been such a visual thing. And it's not like, it's not like I close my eyes and see them. It's just more like a, a an understanding of a music of a music note or an understanding of a synth pad. Mm -hmm. And I always identify, and I always have. I've always identified um, sonic textures with physical textures, and the way I envision um, like a synth pad or an arpeggio is always in my mind as like a visual sound wave or something. So everything is really connected. So when I'm able to pull it all together in a visual project, it's just much easier because yeah, <laughs> it's sure. all there. It's all there. And I, I, I guess I haven't, um, entertained that aspect of it as much as I could have in the past years. Cause I didn't realize it was so cohesive yeah. and all worked together so well. And when I started putting this together, it just flowed out, like working on the chapters that, uh, the, drawing the chapters after I wrote those songs just like was like I know exactly how this is supposed to look I know exactly how this is supposed to feel I didn't have to deliberate over any of those decisions because it was already set in stone as mm -hmm. far as I was concerned like how it was supposed to come across yeah like the story was already laid out and it was just a yeah, question and the of how feeling, you do it yeah. yeah the feeling and the color palette it was just technically getting it done you know when you like have an idea but don't know how to say it or have an idea but don't know how to draw it it's just reconciling that difference and learning that terminology learning how to express it um, which is like a big, honestly, a big thing. I'll never forget, like my 13th birthday present when I was a kid was a studio session. It was the first time my dad took me to, oh, to, awesome. to the studio and like I was going to track one of my songs because I'd been writing songs since I was 11. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember being in there and knowing exactly what I wanted, but not knowing how to say it. And it was the most frustrating thing because it takes time to understand studio terminology and music yeah production terminology and no one taught me that stuff um there was nothing out there that told me you know what attack is and what a transient is and yeah. like what sustain and decay means and what reverb and delay and tempo and all of these like these terms that really help you express the things yeah. that you want to achieve in the studio um and i remember just being like i feel like i'm trying to speak another language and i don't know how to explain what i want to see yeah. so uh it's over time, I obviously it's like learned me, to reconcile. Every time I talk to a female, when I go out, and <laughs> you're like, "How do I reconcile?" Sorry, like, I have these thoughts going through my head. How do I say it? How do in I a say exactly? And not make her feel super uncomfortable. All that stuff takes practice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, um, and the same went for like drawing. You know, just learning how to like put the pen to the paper and make it come out. Um, just it was the learning curve for this yeah. whole project. Well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. You're an awesome interview and awesome, insightful that. questions. Yeah. And I appreciate the time you guys I took with me. I appreciate that too. And um, if the world comes to an end tonight, hopefully it doesn't, um, you should hang out with Lights Backstage. <laughs> yeah, just come find me, fully, all right? Tell you, I got prepared, you. Yeah. I got she'll you. Be, she'll be hiding next to her car in the parking garage. Yeah, not if it's an it. earthquake. Yeah, if it's, a, if it's an earthquake. Um, and there be actually prepared, is a parking people. garage across the street. So, don't go yeah. in it. Yeah, don't go. Park outside. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. You are the reason why we can do what we do. Without the people who listen to our podcast, read the articles, or watch the videos, we wouldn't be in a position to be making this content. As always, please like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this. 
It helps get the word out and helps us pop up higher in searches on all podcasting platforms. We now have a place where you can support Auxoro. If you'd like to, you can go to auxoro.com slash support dash us, or you can click on support us on our main page. You can make either a one-time or a recurring donation. We are a completely independent platform and all of your money will go towards Chipotle. I mean, content. Definitely content. Fuck, I want a burrito bowl. Chips. Side of guac. Heavy on the corona. Anyway, this episode was mixed and mastered by Matt Grossfeld, and the music was produced by David Grossfeld. All three of us are brothers and make up the dream team. And since we constantly use humor to put each other down at home, I'd like to leave you with a joke. What does one saggy boob say to the other saggy boob? If we don't get some support, people are going to think we're nuts. See you next time.